All right. Today is Palm Sunday. It is the day in the church we commemorate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It is believed that it indeed was a Sunday or the first day of the week that Jesus made his way to Jerusalem in what we call the triumphal entry. Each gospel account gives us a record of this triumphal entry. Each gospel account gives us a different aspect, a different picture. For instance, in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, as he comes to the crest of the hill overlooking the city, he could clearly see the city, he could see the temple. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus wept and lamented Because he knew what would happen just a few short decades into the future when the Roman army would surround it. In fact, he tells in great detail what would happen to Jerusalem. And here's what he said. Because you did not know your time of visitation. The things that make for your peace. That was true for Jerusalem on that day that Jesus entered into that city as the king. Do you know that is true For us today, we pray this in our prayers each week that we would be faithful in our time of visitation. Do you know this is your time of visitation on the earth? And our time of visitation, no matter how long we live, even if we live to be over a hundred years old, do you realize how short that time is? And when you reach a ripe old age like me, and I don't consider myself that old, but there's much more life behind me than there is ahead of me. That's just the truth. And I realize how short my time of visitation is. And what I am going to do for the Lord, I must do. And not waste time. And we would do well to teach our children, to raise our children, and to nurture our children to know and to appreciate their time of visitation on this earth. Not not to accomplish the things that they dream of accomplishing, not that there's anything wrong with that, but more importantly, that they have a very clear understanding and awareness that they are here not to accomplish their dreams. They are here to accomplish the will of the Father. Just as Jesus said, I did not come to do my will. And if anyone could come to earth to do his own will, you would think it would be Jesus, right? But Jesus said, I did not come to do my will. I came to do the will of my Father. And I say nothing and I do nothing that I do not first hear or see my Father do. This is our time of visitation. We are to make the most of it. Today I'm going to read to you from John's Gospel, verses 
chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. And I want us to consider the triumphal entry. And I want you to feel the reality that each human being will stand before God and account for their relationship to Jesus Christ. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. John 12, 12 through 19. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I ask that you would today, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds. I pray, God, that you would convict us, that you would convict each person here, that you would convict me, that we have been gifted with a time of visitation on this earth to do your will, to follow your plan and your purpose. And with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength to love you and to obey you and to glorify you with our life. Lord, when men stand before the great throne judgment of God, there is no accomplishment they will have achieved on this earth that will mean anything to them. The only thing that will matter is what they have done in Christ and for the glory of the Father. God, convict us to be a people that live for your glory, to do your will in all things. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In these verses that I just read to you, I want to point out three groups of people that are mentioned here. The crowd is mentioned, the multitude, a great multitude, a crowd. The crowds always followed Jesus. But also mentioned in, this, in these verses are his disciples. We have the crowd, we have his disciples, the followers of Jesus, so not everyone in the crowd that followed Jesus was his disciple. 
And not everyone who was called a disciple actually belonged to Jesus. You have the crowd, you have the disciples, and you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees are mentioned in the last verse here, verse 19. It says, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. When you read the gospel accounts and you read the the life of Jesus and you read his interaction with the Pharisees, you learn very quickly that the Pharisees did not like Jesus. They opposed him at every turn. And so these three groups of people, the crowd, the Pharisees, and the disciples, in terms of how these three groups relate to Christ, They represent the attitudes and the actions of people then and people today. In fact, they represent your actions and attitudes, and they represent my actions and attitudes in in many ways. I would like for you to consider these questions about your relationship to Christ. Here's the first question I want you to consider. Is Christ someone you follow in the moment of emotional or physical need, but not really with constant, unconditional commitment? Is Christ someone you follow in the moment of emotional or physical need, but not really with constant, unconditional commitment? Here's the next question I want you to consider. Is Christ someone you fear and or oppose or perhaps you're indifferent to him? Because allegiance to him means giving up the control of things you believe you are in control of. Is Christ someone you fear or someone you oppose because allegiance to him means giving up The control of things you believe you are in control of. And here's the last question. There's two questions in this last part. Is Christ someone you follow? Not because you understand all he says and all he does but because you know by His Spirit that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no other. And can you say with Job, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him? Those are the questions I want you to consider today as we talk about these three groups of people. Crowd, the Pharisees, and the disciples. Do you find yourself aligned with the crowd or the Pharisees or his disciples? Do you sometimes see all three in yourself? I know that I do. Jesus commands you to go and make disciples. And if you are commanded to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commands, 
then that implies that you yourself are a disciple. Not because you understand all the mysteries of God in the Bible, but because in His grace you know Him and you know that you are known by Him to eternal life. It's not good enough to say, I know Jesus. We won't go there today, but you might note Matthew 7, 21 through 23. There are people who claim to know Jesus, but the response Jesus gave to them was, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I do not know you. It's great to know that you know Jesus, but you need to know in your heart of hearts that Jesus knows you and that he knows you to eternal life. So consider how these three groups impact your life and your faith personally and corporately. Let's talk about the crowd first. When we think of the crowd, we often think of a multitude or a large group of people. The crowd does represent this. But you can be part of the crowd and never physically join a large group or be in a multitude. You can be alone, in fact, and still be part of the crowd. This is especially true today when so much can now be done virtually. One thing, though, you cannot do virtually is be in relationship to Jesus. I want you to hear this, and I want you to know this very well. There is no such thing as a virtual relationship with Jesus. Just like there's no such thing as a virtual pregnancy, you either are or you are not. You are either in Christ or you are not in Christ, and there is no virtual aspect to the relationship we have with Jesus. We are either in relationship to him or we are not. The crowd follows what is trending. At the triumphal entry, guess what? Jesus was trending. He was approaching the apex of his earthly ministry. The crowd was looking for a Messiah, a Savior. The crowd was ripe to sweep any would-be Messiah to kingship carried on the backs of their popular opinions. Israel was ripe for a Messiah, and Jesus was the man trending in that hour, at least in that hour and at least on that day. Popular opinion, not wisdom or truth. And there is a difference. Popular opinion is what influences who and what the crowd follows and promotes. The crowd is not governed by any objective standard, but the subjective standard of popular opinion, popular belief, or even desperation. The crowd is easily swayed by those who make it their business to emotionally and intellectually manipulate the masses. This is why the crowd could proclaim Jesus the Savior and King one day and call for his crucifixion on another day. For many, their allegiance to King Jesus was subjectively determined by the emotion of the moment based on the perception of popular opinion or what the crowd was doing. 
Today, Jesus is not trending with the crowd, in case you haven't noticed. Today, the crowd is influenced by the latest social media trends. Old social media platforms give way to new platforms that are seen as more trendy or more in. Those who control and manipulate these media platforms, both old and new, seek to control and manipulate the crowd. I heard an interesting uh, news story the other day surrounding, um, what's his name, Tesla guy, Elon, Elon Musk, who bought the majority share of Twitter. So you know what the, you know what the media is saying now? Well, Twitter's old. Twitter's old school. That's for old people. We're moving on to newer and better things. Who cares if Elon Musk bought the majority uh, share in Twitter? This is the fickleness of the crowd. Those who control and manipulate those platforms through algorithms, they move on the crowd. They manipulate the crowd through algorithms, through that manipulation. They move an oblivious crowd in the direction already determined. This is why the Pharisees frustra were frustrated and expressed that frustration because they were trying to move the crowd away from Jesus, but they realized in that moment of his entry into Jerusalem that all of their efforts had been for nothing. But just like our enemy, they did not give up that day. And don't think that your enemy or your enemies will give up because you may be following the crowd and trending with Jesus at any given moment. Thus, the crowd is not thinking, but simply reacting to the prompts that constantly bombard their senses. The crowd is conditioned to react, not to think. This is what the world wants to happen the world does not want you thinking. The world wants you reacting and the world wants to manipulate and control and order your reactions. And they know how to do that. So the crowd reacts. They don't think for themselves. It becomes easier to react to emotions and perceived need and desire rather than someone critically thinking for themselves. It becomes easy to follow wherever the crowd may lead. The conditioning of the crowd makes the courage to stand out from the crowd difficult, if not impossible, for some. And we see this very sadly today in many pastors who do not have the courage to stand up in their pulpits and tell their congregations the truth. To call sin, sin, and to stand out from the crowd, even at the risk of their own popularity, their own welfare, and call sin, sin, and point to the crowd and say, you are wrong, God is right, but you are believing a lie. He is the truth, but what you stand for is a lie. The crowd makes that kind of courage difficult, and that is purposeful. The crowd is seen as providing safety and security. We can just blend in. 
with everybody else. Don't say anything contrary. Don't do anything out of sorts. Just be part of the crowd. The crowd provides the salvation many are searching for, but it is a false security, a false safety, and a false salvation. Popular or not, only Jesus can save you, not the crowd. You won't stand before the crowd one day. You'll stand before the Lord of glory. You'll not give an account to the crowd one day. You'll give an account to Jesus, to the Father in heaven. The crowd may embrace Jesus one day, but reject him the next. We've been called by the Lord to rise above the crowd, to courageously stand up and stand out with no fear of man. The fear of the Lord, which is wisdom from on high, is the only fear we are to embrace. Don't follow the crowd. They will lead you to hell. Follow Jesus, the Savior and the giver of eternal life. Let's talk about Pharisees. As you know, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were a religious sect. We call them a religious sect. They were almost a political sect because there was no division between politics and religion in, in Israel. They had a theocracy. God was their king, or he was supposed to be. But they didn't always live as God was their king. In fact, if you survey most of their history, they lived as if they were their own king. Pharisees professed to be seekers of truth. But it is not truth they actually seek. Pharisees love knowledge and information and facts that feed their egos and their sense of self-importance and self-righteousness. This allows them to be seen as the authority. Thus, they alone can rightly judge and determine what they want the truth to be. Notice I didn't say what the truth is. I said what they want the truth to be. This is what Pharisees do. Because they are the masters of knowledge and information and facts. This strengthens the illusion that they are in control. And in their own minds and in the minds of those intimidated by their self-exaltation, they are in control. But in reality, they are not. The Lord is the one who is in control. The truth actually destroys all the illusion they build up for themselves and for the crowd they seek to control. The truth would actually set them free from themselves and the illusion, but they cannot bear to see it or to hear it. They are happily self-deceived, therefore they maintain the illusion for themselves and for those brought under the yoke of their deception. Pharisees seek to control, either passively or aggressively, they seek control over those they can manipulate, over those people and over those things that threaten their self-sovereignty and power. Pharisees, like all people, want salvation, but only on their own terms that allow them to maintain their control. This is why the Pharisees who were committed to their self-sovereign attitude 
would not willingly bow the knee to Jesus, they will not then, they did not then, and they will not now until their self-pride and their self-sufficiency is broken. No one committed to self-dependency can willingly submit to a Savior that demands devoted dependence upon Him. And this is what Jesus demands. He demands that we are devotedly dependent upon Him. Pharisees do not like that. Pharisees do not want to be dependent upon or beholden to anyone except themselves. Therefore, they themselves, listen, they themselves are the only saviors that they can actually trust. The person to which Pharisees will most readily yield to is self. Anyone or anything that is seen to threaten their self-interest, their self-sovereignty, is opposed and rejected. Passively or aggressively, but they will be opposed and rejected. Or just considered not worth paying attention to. This is why the Pharisees rejected Christ. He threatened their self-interest and control over the power structures they had created. You do realize we all have power structures that we create, right? Maybe nothing like Elon Musk, but you and I all have power structures we create. And God wants us to submit all of those to His will, to His control. And for us, all of us, for you, for me, to stop being the masters of our own destiny, the lords of our own life. These Pharisees would not share their sovereign rule over all they had established, not even with the sovereign Lord and the sovereign Creator, Jesus Christ. The Lord and the Creator of all things, including themselves. Thus the creature came to despise its Creator. And in becoming their own God and Savior, they rejected the very one they claim to look for. We see this so clearly today. The modern day Pharisees are not steeped in the laws and traditions of the Old Testament scriptures. But they are intensely religious and don't think that they are not because they are. They are religiously devoted to the laws and traditions they approve as the only truth that can save them and everybody else in their opinion. Their religion is purely humanistic, purely evolutionary, and purely anti-Christ in every way. Their salvation is no salvation at all. It is bondage to death and slavery to the fallen will of man. These modern-day Pharisees profess to be seekers of truth, but in fact, they reject the truth for the lie they love to embrace. From their self-exalted positions, claiming to be the only purveyors of truth, the modern-day Pharisee intimidates and scares the unsuspecting and susceptible crowd through fear-mongering and relentless assaults to condition the minds of those they seek to control. Through our public education system and universities, generations of people have been indoctrinated to believe the lie and reject the truth. 
through media and the internet and social media platforms, you are constantly bombarded with the messages streaming from modern-day Pharisees. This messaging is intended to mold and shape your reactions, not just the way you think. In fact, they want you to become so conditioned you don't have to think anymore. You just react to their prompts. You are sermonized in your news and in your entertainment, in all you do and in all you are exposed to. People may never set foot in a church and yet be more effectively sermonized than if they weekly attended worship in the average American church. The Pharisees of this world are busy making disciples. What is the church doing? That's a question for us to consider. What are you doing? Who's discipling you and your children, parents? Who are you discipling? Jesus was opposed by the Pharisees of his day because they opposed him. Pharisees are still opposing him today, and they are opposing you if you count yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ. So be prepared for the opposition because it's real. That's the crowd, and that's the Pharisees. I don't know about you, but I don't think I want to be a part of those groups. But we are tempted to constantly fall into those categories. Let's talk about disciples. Disciples are those who follow another. You can be disciples of all sorts of people, all sorts of belief systems. The word disciple literally means one who follows another person or way of life. One who submits to the discipline or teaching of that person and way of life. We're talking about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one who follows Jesus and his way of life. A disciple of Christ is one who submits to the discipline and the teaching of Jesus Christ and the way Jesus instructs and commands us to live. Disciples of Jesus do not follow him because they understand everything about him. Anybody here understand everything about Jesus? Anybody here understand all the mysteries of God and all the mysteries of the Bible and all the mysteries of the created order? I didn't think so. There's only one who understands and knows all of that, and that is the Creator. And that's why the Creator in His creation is absolutely other than, infinitely separated from one another. We don't follow Jesus because we understand everything about Him and we have all of our questions answered and He does everything we want Him to do just the way we want Him to do it. No. We follow Jesus in spite of that. And the scripture reveals that even his disciples who walked with him daily, who lived with him for at least three and a half years, did not understand a lot of what he did and much of what happened to him and what happened to them. How many of you understand everything that happens to you? No, you don't. No one does. The understanding of many things came to them later when God gave them the needed revelation at the needed time. 
God will give you what you need to understand when you need to understand it. Don't worry about that. All according to God's plan and purpose. We do not follow Jesus because we understand everything. We follow Jesus because we know He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Disciples of Jesus are followers who are always learning and always growing, even in the midst of their sin and failure. That means you, as disciples, are to be always learning and always growing, even in the midst of your sin and your failure, and you will have plenty of that throughout your life, just as I will, and just as I do. But it is that learning and that growing, even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our failures, that is the grace of God. It is the grace of God that makes a disciple. Men do not choose to follow God out of the goodness of their hearts. If you're following Jesus today, it's not out of the goodness of your heart because there was no goodness in your heart until God in His grace poured His love into your heart by His Spirit. You are a follower of Christ only by the goodness of His heart. You are a follower of Christ by His grace and by His grace alone. You and I can take no glory for being disciples of Jesus Christ. All the glory belongs to Him. For it is only His grace that has made you who you are in Christ. Disciples of Christ know this and gladly give God all the glory. Disciples know, I am weak, but He is strong. As His disciple, you learn that the Lord's strength is made perfect in your weakness. The world teaches us to reject weakness. As a disciple of Christ, you are to glory in your weakness, knowing that in your weakness, He is strong. Therefore, embrace weakness and do not despise it. The growing realization of your weakness will only magnify His infinite strength being made perfect in you. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have no reason to despair even in your darkest or weakest hour. For His strength is being perfected even now in you. This is the power of of His amazing grace, working in you by His Spirit that He has put in you because He chose you and He loves you. And He did that. He chose you, Paul writes in Ephesians 1.4, before the foundation of the world, not because of what you would do, but because it was the good pleasure of His will. Disciples of Jesus know who they are in Him. Excuse me. If you count yourself his disciple, you embrace who you are in Christ and who he created you to be with a grateful heart. From your sex assigned gender in your creation to the color of your skin and eyes and hair to your height and even your shoe size, you are who God ordained you to be. You are His plan and His purpose. You are not a random generality 
You are a meaningful, specific, as Zig Ziglar used to like to say. God knows you by name. The Pharisees of this world do not want you to believe or accept that truth. God commands that you do. You are his disciple. The Pharisees of this world want you to believe that you are your own God. That you are able to choose who and what you are, even if it's contrary to your birth, even if it's contrary to the created order of God. Of course you can do that, because you are to be your own creator, your own God, your own Savior. And in their religion, that's exactly what you are. You are your own creator, your own God. You are the master of your destiny. There is nothing that could be further from the truth. Because Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the creator. He is the one who commands your destiny. Who are you? That brings us to this question. In the triumphal entry, in the days following, we see the crowd, we see the Pharisees, and we see the disciples. Can you see yourself in these groups? In yourself, can you see or can you sense the fickleness of the crowd tempted to change with the the change of the wind? Can you feel your resistance to change and your unwillingness to relinquish control of the things you believe you're in control of? Or do you know the grace of God that made you His disciple in spite of your sin, in spite of your fallenness? in spite of your rejection of Him and your opposition of Him? Do you know His infinite strength in your ever-present weakness? I pray His grace reveal this and much more. I pray He reveals Christ in you, the hope of glory. For if He does not reveal it, you will never know it and you will never see it. This is why God commands us to pray. As his disciples, I pray you are working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. This is what disciples do by the grace of God. Just as in the triumphal entry and the days leading up to the crucifixion of Christ and the days and the weeks and the months following the crowds and the Pharisees, They outnumbered the disciples in those days and weeks and months and even years after the crucifixion of Christ, after his resurrection and ascension. Those who were part of the crowd, those who had pharisaical attitudes and actions toward Jesus and his church, far outnumbered the disciples of Jesus. crowd is not only those in a large gathering of people. And Pharisees are not just members of an elite religious order. They are you and they are me. You and I are called to be disciples of Jesus. But we can be the crowd or we can be Pharisees. In our sin, we can be both. By His grace, though, we are His disciples. The gospel calls you 
And it calls me to come out from among the crowd, out from among the Pharisees, and be his disciples. To follow him in every way. By his grace, you will follow and you will learn of him. By his grace, you will be transformed and conformed to the very image of the Son of Glory. By his grace, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, molding us and shaping us, transforming us and conforming us to the image of Christ. As his disciple, by his grace, you are being made into the likeness of Christ. By His grace, you are to walk in the light as He is in the light. You are to walk just as He walked. As His disciple, you are to know that in Christ you have already overcome all things, including sin and death. As His disciple, you no longer have to follow the crowd. You no longer have to be a Pharisee. You have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. But though you live, it is Christ who lives in you. Now, in His resurrection life and power, by His Spirit, you are empowered to be courageous, to stand up and to stand out from the crowd for Jesus. By His grace, you can ask the question, that the writer of Hebrews asks, what can man do to me? And the answer is man can do nothing to me that can harm me, or hurt me, or irreparably damage me, for I belong to Jesus. And I am safe and secure in Christ. And no man no scheme of man, no power of hell can snatch you from his hand. As a disciple, you are no longer the savior in control of your own destiny. In Christ, you can cast your cares on him, being assured he cares for you. You can have peace that surpasses understanding and freedom in knowing that your responsibility does not negate His sovereignty, His sovereign control of all things. This is the truth the world does not want you to know. This is the truth the world does not want you to believe. But this is the truth that will make you free. And may His truth indeed make you free. Amen. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. Each week we come to the table of the Lord. In our confession of what we believe, we say this line, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. That word Catholic there in the creed means universal. We believe in the universal church. I tell my Catholic friends, we're actually more Catholic than you are, our Roman Catholic friends. Because if I go to visit your church, I can't go to the table and take communion because I'm not considered part of the Holy Catholic Church. But according to the Bible and according to the history of the church, 
since the beginning of creation until Jesus comes back, if you are in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, God considers you part of His holy Catholic Church, His universal church, not a denomination, not a certain expression of Roman or Eastern or anything like that. If you consider yourself part of God's holy Catholic Church, that means if you belong to Jesus and you count yourself a covenant member, you are welcome to this table. Whether this is actually your congregation or you are a member here or not, if you are a member of His body, Christian, welcome to the table and welcome to Jesus. We will all be served and then we will all take the bread and take the cup together. Welcome to Christ. Let's all stand. As I give you your charge today, I want to remind you, I ask you to consider some really important questions at the beginning of the sermon today. And I hope you'll ponder those, not just in the time we've had together today, but I hope you ponder those in the days to come. When we think of the crowd or we think of the Pharisees, we, we can all think of ourselves, we can all think of loved ones, family and friends we know who need Jesus. And we're tempted to think when we consider the crowd, for instance, that it's just a bunch of people who are just ignorant and they really don't know and they just knew. Except that's not how the scripture presents it. Paul in Romans chapter 1 very clearly teaches us that those who reject Christ reject Him because they are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They are holding down the truth. They are actively suppressing it. You realize the truth is everywhere. That palm branch these children are holding, that palm branch you waved around is infinitely more complex than this computer, than your phone, than the vehicle you drove to church today. Yet we want to believe that somehow man and his infinite wisdom or evolution and its miracle magic of coincidence has brought us to this place. Yet none of us would believe that this computer happened by accident. We all know somebody built it. Somebody designed it. But yet we want to believe that palm branch and that child and you adults all came from the same life form and just magically, accidentally, one became a palm branch, one became a child, and one became male and one became female, and one is my dog at home, and one is my cat. And, and that's just the, the amazing... Reality of evolution. Can you think of anything more illogical and ridiculous than that? Yet, people believe that. They reject the truth because they suppress it in unrighteousness. Because when you accept the truth, you have to deal with the truth. And that means you're not in control. He is. That means you can't save yourself. Only He can. That means your hopes and dreams may not be His hopes and dreams 
And that's a problem because I don't really care what his hopes and dreams are for me, what his will is for me. I just know what my will is for me, and that's what I want to follow. So instead of dealing with the truth, I'm just going to suppress it and pretend like it doesn't exist. That way I can follow my own hopes and dreams, control my own life, be my own savior, be my own master of my own destiny, and feel completely comfortable with that because there's no one I'm accountable to. The gospel calls you to be his disciple. The good news is that you can come out of the crowd. You can stop being that Pharisee. You are free to be who the Lord created you to be. You are free to live in his strength, even in the midst of your own weakness. You are free to walk in the light as he is in the light. As his disciple, the gospel has set you free from sin and from death and from the lie and from the endless effort of trying to suppress the truth. Just stop. Let the truth set you free. As his disciple, that is exactly what the gospel does. It sets us free. And it gives us life and light and freedom in Christ. That is good news. Go spread it. Go make a disciple just as you have been made one in His grace. This is what He commands us to do. Go into all the world. Forget the world. Just go to your neighbor. Go to your family. Go to the person closest to you. And let them know that the truth has set you free and that you want that same freedom for them. It could be just as simple as that. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Lord be with you. The Lord.